0: Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 56 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Tales from the Crep, Five Men's Quest to Die by Pancake, The Switch is Landing, what are the early takes on Nintendo's new hardware, Dave has very early impressions of Horizon Zero Dawn, Peter Moore of EA leaving his job as the lead of a soulless money-making endeavour that's a shell of its former glories and trading it all in for English football, what a stretch. Our book club this week focuses on a game that set the bar for shooters in the 2000s, Half-Life. Let's get this show on the road. This is Link to the Cast, episode 56. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am each and every week by the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson, over there on the couch. I'm
1: I'm slowly wrapping myself into a cocoon of Robinson. On yeah, the couch over a here. Ca-
0: a cocoon of Robinson. That is like some sort of weird ass slash, slash fiction in this podcast. <laughs> that's not that's not good. uh I'm, I'm really cold this evening. I'm not
1: sure why. Yeah, it's probably because I haven't really moved today. I worked from home today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I was feeling it earlier on. Um, and then I went off driving for a while. Came yeah. back.
1: I think as well. I'm I'm feeling good now. I'm feeling tired today. Um, so I got paid today, and do mm-hmm. you have that feeling where when you work really really hard, is for that a month, why
0: you're cold? Because you've been making it rain.
1: I have been making it rain now. Um, you know when you like uh, work extra time and you put a load of effort in, and then you get paid, and you have this extra money, mm-hmm. but then you suddenly everything you just kind of like unwind because you feel like okay, that's all over now. You, yeah. But life still goes on, and you still need to work, and yeah. Um, it's just it's. I don't know. It makes you realize just how fucked we all are.
0: Yeah. What is it, uh? Brian was saying the other day. That's life for you, though, isn't it? Constant kicks in the balls, and one day you die. <laughs> <laughs> like that's uh. Sums it up quite nicely. Uh, yes. There,
1: the great, great poet, the great, uh, uh,
0: the great beacon of positivity in our lives. Yes, then, is Brian, Brian McMahon. Um, so, how's uh, your week been, buddy?
1: Uh fine. Just uh, stupidly busy with yeah. uh, between different bits and pieces of mainly just work um yeah that's pretty much it like it's not been that exciting nothing exciting that i can bring to the podcast and Mm. and tell in a, a great kind of anecdotal way yeah so i've had a
0: lot of stuff going on i um it's been um a busy couple of days i'm i'm gearing up to go back to prague again but I will not miss a podcast this time. I've accidentally timed my travels really well this I'm time. I'm
1: very impressed. I'm yeah. very... Uh, I'm happy with your commitment to this It wasn't project. deliberate. <laughs> no, I know. Um, yeah, no.
0: But I'll take the credit nonetheless. Um, so I'm gearing up to go to... The, so I'm, I'm getting ready to travel. Um, on top of that, I've had, I had some stuff to do today over at my granny's house. Uh, I... What else have I been doing? Um, I have to do this. Nope. I was doing driving lesson, as I was saying earlier on. Um, eh? A lot of stuff is is catching up all at once Um, We're not going to
1: break the fourth wall in this show
0: (laughs) It's a case where um, I haven't had, as we'll talk about later, I haven't had a lot of time to to play much this week Which is uh, weird, because normally I will find a couple hours here or there, but I've had very little time Um, But hopefully that's going to ease up now, uh, quite shortly Uh, We had one of the great uh, festivals of this house Last night, as we're recording this, two nights ago, as you're hearing this, um, there there's, there are a few occasions that bring our group of friends together, Mark. And you're now back on your second cycle of them because this was the first one you were here for last year, and now we've we've started the 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 show all over again. Actually, no, the one you've missed, I think, two years running. Now you haven't been to one of our Super Bowl parties. Uh, no, but you, I, you weren't over the last Super Bowl and you were away for this one.
1: If, if I'm going to miss one of the events here, that's probably
0: yeah. the one I'll go for. So we do Super Bowl. We do um, WrestleMania. We do Eurovision. We do SummerSlam. Uh, we do Practice Christmas, which we've talked about on the show before. And yep. we do uh, something I th- we've, we've talked about a bit on the show a year ago. Good God, being able to say that. Um... Mancake Blues Day, as we call it, a day where we cook uh, an absurd stack of pancakes and listen to blues music. Quite a pairing. And this was your second one. You you managed to just get home in the nick of time for this one. Indeed. Um, how was your experience of your your second Mancake Blues Day? I
1: mean, I was. I came in to find four four stacks of pancakes. left, a stack of pancakes, four pancakes left, that, and, and
0: five immobile mobile
1: men, and they were slightly cooled off. Um, so. I wolfed down the four pancakes in only the way that Mark Robinson does, upsettingly. Yeah, um, I missed out on the bacon and the sausages, so
0: uh... they were we were we were touch and go as what we were going to save them for you. But by the time everyone had some, because we only got small packs, there was only I think one sausage left, and it was stone cold. Yeah. So,
1: do you find when? You have these pancakes, and because you lay out quite the spread uh-huh. of different condiments to put on these pancakes,
0: yeah. I I take my my uh, because I'm I own the house, so this house is kind of the hub of all of our events. I take my role as host very seriously, yeah, you might and have noticed. You do a
1: fine job, but when you have all of these different things that you can put on top of the pancake, mm-hmm. you're suddenly like, I want to put them all on, but it, I can't, and I don't know what to do.
0: Excellent point at which to segue. <laughs> A friend of ours, friend of the show, Ben Kavanaugh. He's a guy who contributes to our game of the year voting. Um, last year, he made the bowl claim under the assumption we would all forget that this year he was going to try a pancake with every single topping on it. Uh, and as a result of that, I went this year out of my way to get toppings that we normally don't get. I think we had three to four different kinds of chocolate-related spread. So we had... Um, Nutella, which is the chocolatey, hazelnut spread, yeah. uh, which we always have. But then on top of that, Brian supplied some dark Belgian chocolate spread. There was Hershey's chocolate sauce and Cadbury's crunchy spread, which was a new one for this year. I missed
1: that one. Oh. Yeah,
0: that's why well, we still got the jar out there in the tub. So oh, if you, really? if you okay. see a chance to use it, no one else is going to eat if it. If I'm
1: having one of those days, you just, just get a spoon. Get a spoon you, yeah.
0: I got that. Uh, we got maple syrup this year for the first time.
1: That was really good maple syrup.
0: And apparently, yeah, it was a real hit. And the only deciding factor, because I don't eat maple syrup, the only deciding factor for me was what's the coolest looking bottle. And that appears to have worked out It was kind
1: of like um, a, a, a kind of small like glass pouring device. Mm. Like very kind of stylish.
0: Yeah, yeah. A real kind of uh, bespoke would yeah, be the yeah. word you would um, use if you were sure. being a dickhead. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we had loads of them. We had ice cream, whipped cream, your standard butter, sugar, lemon. Um, Real
1: length. Pancakes
0: we cook over here for people who are listening from different regions. I know we have European listeners and American listeners. So they'd be closer to French style crepes. They're not as thick as pancakes that Americans would I've have done it, They're
1: pancakes. still pretty thick.
0: They're they're halfway between, I would say. Yeah, they find um, a good
1: blend of the two. Yeah,
0: they are f- they are fried to the extent that you would fry a crepe. They are slightly thicker than a crepe, but they are definitely thinner than a Scotch pancake sure. or an American yeah. pancake. Um, so they are conducive to having sweet or savory with them, and they don't uh, weigh heavily on you like I find the American pancakes do.
1: Well, uh, I mean, they kind of do because we only we end up eating too many
0: of them. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, they, they do by just we keep eating, um,
1: because you keep making so many.
0: Indeed, uh, we make quite a lot of them. Quite a yeah. big, st- an upsetting stack this year. It was, but a good I time. I we had two. I have two small pans. I have two going at the same time. Um, yeah, it was. It, it, <laughs> yeah, I You didn't do that last year. No, we didn't have two pans last year because um, one of them was, remember the pan that you had that it turns out we didn't find out until we poured the thing in it. It wasn't nonstick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we just didn't use that. Yeah. So I actually went out of my way and bought two pans and I'm going to put away now until next year just so that the, the nonstick yeah, sure. doesn't get scraped off them. Um, But the other thing that we did that year after we got uh, this year after getting uh, ridiculously stuffed on pancakes, uh, we played a game called Here Now which is the Irish version uh, of Cards Against Humanity.
1: I was not aware that they were now making culturally or regional variations mm. of Cards Against Humanity. Well, funnily,
0: it, it isn't um, from the people who no, brought you Cards it's Against it's Humanity. Uh, yeah, so uh, an Irish guy, I went and looked up the story just for talking about it here uh, and I wanted to give it a plug because we, we had a great time with it. Um, so basically the story is Cards Against Humanity is an open source concept for a game. So they will not come after you in a legal way if you make your own region specific version which is of very cool yeah which explains to me now like I understand now why when I go on Amazon or I go on some sorts of different shop to see if anything any weird cards against humanity stuff has gone up there's so many games that are blatant rip-offs sure yeah. they're not rip-offs because they're not being litigious about <laughs> yeah. it yeah um, so this guy uh, he's out here here now it was actually kick-started um, a guy called Simon Flaherty um, this game has just come out this month. It's it's very new. Um, and you can get it over at IHearNow.com. So it's a very, very uh, localized... Uh, if you live in America, unless you have Irish people in your group, it's probably not for you if you're in England unless... The English will get some of it. You were getting some of the things. The things that were just straight up in Irish, you weren't.
1: Well, no. I, like, I've been here yeah. for a year and I still can't begin to read Irish.
0: Yeah. So like some of the the specific ones here I have a couple of um uh, examples from a Daily Edge article I found about it. Um the, so the the format of the game is everyone draws 10 cards that are answers to questions and one person the card sarer or the chief justice in this game draws the black card which has the question. So it's it's question response the funniest answer gets the point for the round. Um and so Here's a couple of them. Here, one question: What's the first thing you ever masturbated to? And the answer: Someone wrote. Someone got the card. The Angelus. Uh, another one here is this Friday. Conor McGregor faces his greatest challenge ever as he steps into the octagon with an unfortunately time direction. It's that kind of stuff. It's 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 cards against humanity, but very specific. Some incredibly specific Irish references.
1: Yeah, uh, I I was enjoying it in a way that. Um... It, it kind of gave me a crash course in Irish culture. In yeah, I didn't, know,
0: I, I didn't know that you hadn't uh, known what a Taoiseach was, oh. our Prime Minister.
1: Uh, well, I mean... You, you knew we had one, you've probably, the word... You've probably told me the word before, but it's not a word I'm going to remember. Yeah.
0: Um, but it's good, yeah. Once there's at least someone who is of uh, Irish origin in your group who can explain this to the non-Irish, uh, this works out pretty well. Um, Because I don't know We haven't played through All the green cards So I don't know If there are so many Very specific Irish references That it is completely Unplayable to people Not from here Hmm. There were definitely enough That you you were getting A lot of them But um, we were explaining A couple of things Through no fault of your own It's not like you're ignorant or anything It's just they are Very niche references You would have had to Have grown up here (laughs) Um, Yeah So that's uh, Our Here Now Go over to OurHereNow.com To get it It's like 30 quid Plus a few quid shipping to get it, and it'll be here within, I think, two working days if you live in Ireland. Uh, it's pretty good. Anyway, how much are
1: they paying you to plug this?
0: Uh, nothing. I just if there's a good product and it's been independently kickstarted, I I'm going to give it a, give it its props on the program. Um, I commend you. Let's go to video games playing this week. Hey, check it out! I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy Two. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I
1: meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Uh, I finally got round to uh, downloading and playing N++. Because mm. uh, it's it is or was not entirely sure whether in the past or present tense of uh, that were of that now but um, it was 4 dollars um, on the store and I think also Titanfall 2 is currently 22 quid on the store. Uh, at some point I still might play that but I went for the cheaper option, it's also because it's a game that I've been wanting to play for a while. I very much enjoyed the first M Plus, way back in the day on the Xbox 360, when you could play and download games on Xbox Live. Um, And I I was thinking about it, I have kind of like two really key periods of nostalgia when it comes to video games, and one of them is playing the N64. Mm. But the other one now is the early days of playing the Xbox. actually, most of my time playing the Xbox 360, like the set, the the, the, the so, uh, sounds and um, like when you log in for the first time in the boot up screen, the 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 tone, the noise that it makes, yeah. um, the different things like uh, with the uh, user interface and the HUD, when it just kind of makes these little beeps and bops, it just it gives me a, a kind of nostalgic kick and. One of the games I remember playing, one of the early games for the Xbox 360 was M+, which was this just kind of random platforming game. I think it was, I can't remember if it was before or after Super Meat Boy, but I remember playing it around that time, and I was very much on my platforming kind of fix at the time. And so M++ is, it's a straight up platform platform game by uh, Metanet. Um, so it's a sequel to M+, which in itself was a sequel to, I think it was a, an, just an, a web browser game. I remember Jack introducing me to a, a while ago, uh, before M Plus came out. Uh, and then there was... there was I know there was a game on the DS. I don't know if it was a straight-up remake of M Plus or a port, but I know there was one for the DS as well. Uh, so this came out in... When was it? 2015. Um, and I just... I never got around to playing it. Because um, I didn't get my PS4 until... Uh, not too long before I went to China so just you know timing didn't work out and it's the, the concept is you have just a whole ton of levels they're single screen levels mm-hmm. uh, you have your little kind of ninja guy called N and you have a door that you need to get to and uh, you have to find a key to unlock the door it's like a little switch you just have to kind of cross over go over this switch opens the door and then you get to it And then on top of that, you have um, whatever number of obstacles that the the game decides to create for you. And you have uh, kind of like small pieces of gold, which extend your time. So it does the thing of um, you're trying to get to the end of the level in the quickest amount of time. And the way to do that is obviously to be fast, but to collect all the gold as well. Mm -hmm. And um, if you collect all the gold pieces... Um, at the end of the level, it kind of puts up a little sort of gold marker to say, hey, you've collected all the gold. So the, the simple motivation is to complete all the levels, but to uh, also try and do them perfect, essentially. And it's uh, it, it retains the, the thing I like about the M plus and M plus plus is that your character has a, a real sense of momentum and floatiness in that quote unquote sort of expression we like to use kind of like mario mm. where you can perform mid-air maneuvers where you're you you jump and as you're halfway instead of kind of being fixed to this plane that you're just going to continue on you can move mario in a particular direction while in the air and m++ is very much along those lines where you can use momentum to uh, run along a, a flat surface, go up a ramp and then jump off at the end and then as you're halfway up you can kind of pull back and bring not go as far forward as you wanted to if you like think that you're gonna gonna crash into uh, a mine or something on those lines and so the game really tests you on being able to perform these kind of mid-air maneuvers and to really understand how to use momentum to your advantage. And so it's uh, it has some really cool like ideas, and it brings some new um, puzzle elements and, and uh, enemy designs, if you will. Like, there are these small circles, and when you run over them, it creates a version of you, like a ghost. And it follows your path that you create, but you can't run into that, that version of you. Think of it like Shadow Link, essentially. If you run into it, then you uh, die, and you have to start le- the level over again. It's it's a one hit kill, so if you hit hit, that's it. You got to start the level over again. And so they use that in really interesting ways, where you might be halfway through a level, and then you have to run across one of these circles, and you can choose to run across that and get the gold coin, but then it makes the rest of the level a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. Or you can avoid it to get to the end of the level a lot easier. So it gives you like, it gives you. I, I really like when games do the kind of thing where. Instead of giving you a set easy and difficult mode, it finds ways in the game itself to let you kind of choose which path you want to take, which is easier, easier and or more difficult. And uh, I like it when games do that, like within the game. It's a really cool kind of feature. And uh, yeah, like it's kind of the standard platforming stuff. You can cling to walls, you can jump off of it, um, and there are a ton of levels. Like I've put about two and a half hours in, and I'm not even. I f- like I think I'm just over a fifth of the amount of levels they have, on top of the the legacy levels they have as well. So like I'm going to be playing this for a while. I think. Um, if you like platforming games, if you like the kind of Super Meat Boys and Rayman origins of the world, it's definitely something you should pick up.
0: Excellent. Um, I've only really been playing one thing this week, and I've uh, only played a very little bit of it. So it's very early impressions talk that I'm going to be giving here. And that is uh, Gorilla's new game, Horizon Zero Dawn, which you talked about for a long time on the podcast, it feels like, Mark. Um, finally out today as we're recording this, I've only had a chance to get a couple of hours deep into it, um, and keeping it vague for m- more developed thoughts next week. I'm going to have a lot of thoughts on a couple of big games next week, but uh, early on... um. It does not feel like a game that was designed by the gorilla that made Killzone by any stretch of the imagination. It does not handle like Killzone by any stretch of the imagination. It doesn't even really handle like Far Cry, which is the, the series it would be most similar to in kind of mechanically what it is. Well, I
1: mean one is a first-person shooter and one is a third-person shooter. So. But in terms, in of, terms of the, of the actual... open
0: world, the wildlife, sure. gotcha. and the the RPG elements, it's very Far Cry. Right. Um, some of the things I really like, I, I, I have always, even in the early promotional material, loved the aesthetic quality of putting the overgrown world beside the highly advanced machine, robot, dinosaur things. Yeah. Um, I did not think we'd be thrust in as quickly as we do at the start of the game into how there are basically um, there are there is more to all of it than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. I would have thought that that would have come in more slowly. I'm not saying that as a complaint. I'm saying that as a Fucking yeah, there's no waiting about here. We're just, we're into it. This is, it's, this game has a swagger and a confidence about it that just opens up and goes, this is the world. I'd say within about, there's a nice opening scene where, where your character is born. Uh, that's very simba on pride rock yeah. <laughs> and um in, in that scene it's very much like this is the world here are the fucking dinosaurs there's no like because they know everyone knows that that's what this game is but what so they do they just get to it what
1: does it do then for uh in purposes of or instructions and in kind of explaining okay how so there's the a game.
0: tutorial that uh takes place first when uh, aloy your your character is a young girl uh, she's a very rambunctious girl who, who tends to run off. Her and her father figure, um, I, I'm going to try and stay as vague as I can on this, mm-hmm. are for reasons that are not yet apparent very early on in the game, uh, are outcasts from everyone else, which is why a lot of the promotional material you'll see is her on her own, uh, or encountering people who are wary or hostile of her. It's because the two of them are outcasts. Um, and very early on in the game, she falls down into uh, kind of a hole and she finds things there from the old world, which is obviously the world of this technology. Um, so you get some basic discovery skills, how to scan an area, stuff like that. You find your uh, little MacGuffin thing that you might have seen on the box art that's over her ear that's able to scan areas. Right. Um, and then the other part is going to, you come back to the father, figuring he goes, well, if you're going to keep wandering off like that and scaring me, I might as well train you to fight. So you do a couple of little fighty things, and then early on in the missions, they do a, they, they do a good job of like slowly layering in the things you need to do. And it's not overly hand-holdy, and what hand-holding there is, they try to take off as quickly as possible. So I'm only on maybe this, the third mission, and already the hands are pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. Um, which is good. I'm already being left just to figure out how hostile this world is. There's some really cool mechanics in it. Uh, I I really like how um, something that you would take for granted in a lot of games like Far Cry or something like that, just jumping down off a small rock creates a noise that they will hear. Um, There's very much, particularly early on in the game when you haven't developed skills yet, um, there is an emphasis on don't let certain um, robots see you. There are ones that specifically their job is to go and hunt you out and alert everybody to get real hostile and kill the fuck out of you. Okay. Um, and you can hide in the tall grass. You can throw stones to distract them, move them over somewhere else. You've got a spear and a bow.
1: So uh, does if it, it does it feel very stealthy?
0: No, it it feels very much like it. It feels like when i get more confident i and and i've built up my skills a little bit it feels like it's only going to require me to do a bit of smart thinking about my combat it's kind of like some of the best games like you know dying light i wouldn't call dying light a, a stealth game at all it's about picking your battles
1: true sure. okay. more
0: than anything so don't go when there's a bunch of these scout robots going around i can't remember their name for the life of me when there's a bunch of them going around uh don't engage Uh, you can do a cool thing with your little MacGuffin headpiece and uh, hit r3 to open the scanner and you can scan uh, an enemy a robot and you can either hit r2 which will tag the weak points on it and it will illuminate them slightly gold even when you've turned off the scanner so you know where to hit with your bow Uh, or with those scout robots a really cool thing that i can't remember if I've noticed this in any other game, you hit L1 and it will show you, because they're robots, they move in predictable paths. It will show you the entire arc that it walks in mm. so that you can pick your time to move from tall grass to tall grass to get closer to the thing you're actually trying to get. Um, the combat feels good. There's a good heavy crunch to it, but your movement feels nice and light, like you would expect it to be when it's a girl trying to be stealthy.
1: What um, what kind of combat are we talking like? Is it, is it more um i
0: would describe platinum. it very much like uh the the
1: is it like platinum actiony or is it no more it's more like the dark souls rise as? of
0: tomb raider okay cool All Right. so there are kind of there is a melee combat element to it with your spear but there's also ranged weaponry um i think so far i think the the, the combat system is maybe slightly tighter because there's more a focus on the combat than there there would be in the Rise of Tomb Raider, because Rise of Tomb Raider is more about exploration than sure, combat. Yes. Um the story already is is fascinating. That one little place you go into, which I won't spoil, at the very start of the game as young Aloy, has enough there's some equivalent, this game's equivalent of audio logs. There's a couple of those in there. But um if you're listening to them properly very much make you curious as to what the fuck went on you know Um, I, I yeah I'm I, I really like it so far I'm, I'm going to I'm not going to give a final valuation uh, for sure until next week when I've gotten decently far into it mm-hmm. but uh, thumbs up so far really okay. like it cool um, the other thing I want to talk I want to talk about two things really quickly before we, we uh, sign off here is that I have been uh, given messages from erstwhile co-host uh, Brian McNamara about two games that he's played um, For Honor which came out recently the, the medieval uh, third person combat game that's pretty much almost entirely online um, and his review in that is that like, the fighting feels good um, It does. I, and I watched him play it for a while it's a very pretty looking game um it's much more of a fighting fighting game than i thought that relies on actual button combos and things that that was not what i was expecting from that game at all um but what he does say about it in kind of the way a lot of people would have felt about the division um not him for sure but a lot of people felt about the division is that after a while it gets repetitive and tedious um, and he burnt out of that now he played a, quite a few hours but he burnt out of that game completely in a week and i think he's returning it already is
1: it like so is it um because i haven't looked into that game mm-hmm. at all is it a team-based yeah team-based you
0: you pick your your class of medieval warriors so there's ones who are basically heavies there are ones who are ninjas there are ones who are like um use a flail they're a little bit kind of medium speed from what i can tell um so you pick your class what fighting style you you do best and engage in combat and a lot of it is kind of like territory control okay um it looks like a game where
1: this sounds if, absolutely nothing like a game i want to play
0: but if it, it, it feels like a game where if it was on ps plus i would download it and play it for a week sure and then be like yeah fine it is no game that I think would ever hold my interest for any substantial period of time. The other thing he wanted me to mention very, very quickly is that he was in the beta for Uh, uh The Ghost Recon Wildlands uh, beta that was out at the weekend, um, which he actually surprisingly enjoys. He says it seems to combine the things everyone likes about... The online play that doesn't feel um, too dependent on you having to talk to people that he likes from The Division. So there's online play, but AI will take the place of your friends online if you don't want to play with your friends online. He says that feels good. The AI doesn't get in the way and it's not stupid. Um, and the other thing he says, it, it also takes in the kind of the, the conflict management and the the planning and thought of Rainbow Six Siege that people really like. Um, so he he's very much eager. He's I think he's going to buy that now. He went straight from going, no, I'm getting For Honor, and I'm not getting Horizon." To he's getting Horizon and Ghost Recon now <laughs> instead. It's, so I just wanted to mention those. Kind of, re- re- I know re- we have fans of those kind of um, games.
1: Kind of reminds but, me, um, not so much for for uh, beta, but for demos they've, they've made a resurgence over the last year or two
0: they should they really should um i mean i, I miss the days where i used to be able to walk into gamestop and ask them what demos were there and they'd yeah, have me a stack well, of discs.
1: there's a good article um i can't remember her name um she works for mcv and she's a really good article about demos and the resurgence of them mm-hmm. and there were developers saying that they're kind of surprised they've seen them make such a return because there is a cost involved with making them. Like, I imagine it would be because I, I think some people just think that you just kind of cut a piece of a game out and just put it out there, but it's not the case at all. No. You need to, you know, you make that. You specific need to get a small team
0: working on a vertical slice of the game that doesn't give away the whole banana. Exactly. You know, on
1: top of the why you're still trying to create the game as well. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember, like, it's a headache for uh, teams because on top of that, you usually have uh, part of the team that's making a build ready for. Um, PR, uh, press, mm-hmm. uh, which is the same thing, um, but uh, like events as trade well, shows, yeah. like trade shows. So, you know, that's just a kind of added expense and pressure uh-huh. to put on. But at but the, same, at the time, same time, they are effective. They, in
0: this age where video games, not in terms of uh, real money, but in terms of actual numerical value are more expensive than ever, even though in real income terms, as I've said before, are cheaper than ever. Yeah. Um, You need to do what you can to make people want to part with it like i would be much more inclined to part with a game or part with money for a, a season pass on day one if i'd actually played the game before day one mm. so if it, we know from the practices of uh, developers and publishers nowadays that they really want you to get that season pass day one it's so aggressively marketed to you to get that season pass day one but i'm very hesitant to do that sight unseen of actually playing a game myself this is a way to do it. Give me the demo beforehand. Let me actually try and see if I really like the game and if I feel like I'm developing a real appetite from this tiny part of the game.
1: Yeah, um, like, because you know, you have those people that, the the kind of the blind fanboys who will just splash the cash down mm-hmm. and buy the season passes. Yeah, not and wrong with that, if that's what to no, do. Um, not at all, not at all. And I, I think it's fair to say that developers would rather have people that would be more than happy to Splash the cash without yeah. having actually touched the game, but I, I do think that um most people I like to think are, are more savvy about that kind of thing. And definitely, it's like I want to play this and know what I'm putting money down if your for. game's
0: good as well. You give a good chance of being able to tempt people that were really on the fence about it by going, Oh, I actually do like this. I yeah. wasn't planning on giving it a look, but I had an hour to kill, so I downloaded the demo.
1: I mean, like everything, it's a risk, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, you think back again the the doom demo you know yeah. we weren't impressed with that at all no
0: but that was uh, i i don't know what the plan was there because I, I i can't imagine they didn't know that the multiplayer was the worst part of that game who knows maybe it was to set expectations low could be know? could be uh who knows anyway moving on let's go to the news news on the map Is a big week for Nintendo, Mark Robinson. The Switch is coming out on Friday. Uh, people have been getting their hands on them in the media. Embargoes are starting to lift. Impressions videos and articles are starting to come out. So we've got a hell of a lot of Switch news to talk about this week. So I think we'll, uh, we'll just get into it. Um, people are curiously reviewing the hardware already. Um, in spite of, as you have written here in the agenda, the... Um, Lack of a firmware update on day one, which we have known about for weeks, will be there. Yeah. Um, so they're not actually reviewing the finished hardware. They're reviewing uh, essentially a beta well, <laughs> version of the hardware. They're very
1: much uh, reviewing, like Digital Foundry have a really good uh, piece on you know the actual hardware itself and yeah. just all the kind of performance aspects of it. But, uh, like, there's no online functionality yet. Like, no one knows how the eShop's going to work. Yeah. There's no Virtual Console at launch.
0: I saw someone on Reddit, right? So there are screenshots of the, the Virtual... Not the Virtual Console, sorry. Um, the Virtual Console? But the, the Virtual Console not being there at launch does not surprise me. That is peak Nintendo. No, yeah, that's, yeah. Sure. Um, also, that's a perfect thing for, like, we complain about how they don't have a massive amount of things coming out th- this year. That's a perfect thing to throw out halfway between now and Mario. Yeah. It's perfect. I mean, you know? I'm
1: sure there are people that would rather have the fucking don't now, but... front
0: load it and throw a hundred things on. Zelda is the system seller, I, I, look, not look, GameCube look, games. Look.
1: While I agree that you don't want to front load it, there <laughs> are how many games coming out of launch?
0: Yeah, there are there are a handful. Mm-hmm. But like I said last week, at the same time, if you look at the line, the launch lineups for Xbox One and PS4, the. Uh, the addition of Zelda to the launch lineup of Switch, it immediately makes that much stronger than any other launch game this generation.
1: I would still say that Nintendo are fighting more of an uphill battle than those it's, two are.
0: It's true, it's true. Although I would think in a lot of ways, looking at the Switch, they are not trying to be number one. Because no. that is a fool's errand. No. But uh, anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, the, the the thing we want to talk about. So the, the reviews are starting to come in. Um, IGN, continuing this um, trend of... Um, like glasses half empty, uh, of being the the worst review I read so far of it. Uh, not Polygon. Uh, GameSpot are very high on it. Um, with a kind of what I think is a really tempered review, saying the what a lot of people have said, because so, so a lot of the reviews are focusing on the form factor, how the form factor has a lot of potential. Um, but some of the reviews uh, from various sites uh, I haven't actually got solid notes written down here because I was reading it on the bus today um, are getting bogged down in that well there's no game yet that uh, uses all these different things at once you know what I mean um, one 2 switches about the closest we're going to get and that's just a party game it's not an actual uh, full game um, but people are enjoying the form factor and saying that the machine has considerably more potential than the Wii U which is exactly what I want to hear to calm me down a little, yeah. <laughs> you know, because the Wii U launched with games that tried to make something from the the unique selling points of the, the, the form factor of that console, and it just did not work out. Um,
1: but- what I'm seeing most of all is people saying that the actual... The tablet itself is a very nice piece of kit. It's, yeah. um, it like,
0: weighs less than the Wii U pad. Yeah,
1: it's it's like a little bit heavier than uh, a, a Vita or a 3DS, but it's less than your kind of standard iPad, yeah. which is great. That's kind of what you want to it's hear. It's
0: perfect if you're going to be making this thing a portable. Yeah,
1: it's like, what, half an inch thick, I yeah. think. Um, and
0: people are saying that as well when you undock it into that uh, portable mode, but yeah, the specs do downgrade a bit, but for a handheld device, it is considerably better than anything that has existed sure. to this point.
1: Um, what were the other kind of key uh, The Joy-Con things?
0: issue, which probably hit on. This was a thing that happened over the weekend. Oh,
1: yeah, sure.
0: Um, so I, I have some, as you may have seen on the Twitter.com, had some hot takes about everybody jumping to conclusions on this one. Um, so there were a lot of talk about the the left Joy-Con, which are the uh, the little controllers that snap either side of the the tablet, mm-hmm. and about how um it was desynchronizing. That's not the that's not the actual correct term for what's happening, but it is the from what people in their videos are saying, that is the term that for most people who don't understand the incredibly technical language yeah, of this sort of thing it's the
1: calibration it's,
0: yeah it's it it's it's to do with calibration i can't remember if there was another word they used as well but desynchronization is gives you a suson of what the kind of <laughs> uh the thing is it's yeah. not quite that but if you're thinking desynchronization in your head you're not a million miles off yeah, either sure. you know um so people started re- reporting that this was an issue uh, come friday all of a sudden w- w- as can happen on Twitter when, like, two or three people find the same thing. Everything goes crazy, so for a few hours, everyone was, like, R.I.P. Nintendo digging dirt over the corpse, all this sort of crap. And um, then people actually started coming in who were going, well, I'm actually going to go out of my way and try to force this to happen. So um, what seems to be the case is that this is occurring in what I would consider for most people... And this is, don't get me wrong, I'm going to give this the massive caveat of saying, do not get me wrong, this is a problem, but I don't think this, uh, or at least I hope, this doesn't prove to be the problem that people are making out to be, is where I'm coming from on this, right? So what is happening is it is starting to desync um, either when you have your most of, if not your entire hand over the IR sensor on the top of it, which is a position that... I have never held a controller in in my life. So you're, you're, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's almost trying to force the error to occur by mm-hmm. putting it over the IR thing. And the other one is if, and this is from Jeff Gersman. He measured it at it starts um, clipping out uh, if you're about thirteen to fifteen feet away from the screen, which is which I don't a know many people unless they have a distance. studio for streaming yeah. console games. Not many people are going to be thirteen to fifteen feet away from the thing. Yeah. Um the other thing I kind of thought about and and vocalized on Twitter was that if it is as prevalent as it seems to have been amongst the review versions of the console, there is literally no way Nintendo did not find out about this and have some sort of, we don't know what the exact problem is. Even the people who have done incredibly technical breakdowns, there's one video that everyone was sharing around about the guy who was showing the, the desynchronization as it was happening. Um, And he was going, we don't know. We can only speculate what the exact problem is because it could be any one of a number of things. So the best case scenario is that either the firmware upgrade that comes out at the start or a subsequent firmware upgrade to come out, hopefully very quickly, will fix this. Mm. The very worst case scenario is that something happens equivalent to what happened with DualShock 4s. you remember what happened with DualShock 4s at launch? I don't. Yeah, DualShock 4s at launch. People forget this. I, I... A huge percentage, uh, a relatively huge percentage for something like this, uh, something like 20% of uh, DualShock 4 controllers that came out in the launch window had an issue where the rubber was coming completely off the sticks within a couple of weeks. And not not a couple of weeks of intensive play. That that would be bad. Yeah. So I remember reading tutorials because it started happening to mine. And this was before Sony. Sony took ages to comment on this. Yeah and um, people started coming up with tutorials because, thankfully, one of the cool things about the design of the PS4 is that they've designed it in such a way that it is very easy for your average I'm-watching-a-DIY video-on-YouTube guy to take the hardware apart. Not that we're saying you should do that. No, well, actually, Sony themselves have said you can do it with the console, switch out the hard drive. With with the hard drive, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, with the controller, there were tutorials on it to open up the controller and replace it with the Xbox One thumbsticks, which are brilliant. Mm. In fair, like that's just one th- just
1: think about that, by the way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, and what they did was, which is what Nintendo's worst case scenario here is, they did uh, they set up a thing with retailers where you keep your receipt for your console, you go back into the retailer you bought it from, you hand in the left Joy-Con, they give you a new one. Sure. You don't even have to send it back to Sony. Yeah. Yeah, that that, that is this that is possible. Um, it's not a case where you're going to. There, there is, I I would like to say, Touchwood, there is almost no way you end up with just a fucked console. At worst, because you are able to buy and replace. It's not like if the tablet for your Wii U was boned, then the Wii U was done for. Yeah if the left Joy-Con is done, you can get a new left Joy-Con and you will be able to get it for free if it's a manufacturing error. Exactly. Um, So let's not... Let's let's all take a breath. For the time
1: being as well... um, it still works perfectly fine if you have them actually clicked into the side of the, the Switch tablet itself. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not the end of the world. Um, what I'm reading as well is that the, the Switch Pro Controller is about as good of a controller as you can get.
0: I, I've I ordered it.
1: I'm sure you have. I
0: As soon as I saw that thing, I was like, that is what I want to play Zelda on.
1: But it's really like between... It looks like an ocarina. <laughs> between the, the Switch controller... The, sorry, the Switch itself, the Pro Controller, the sd card that you're going to need to because there's only like 25 gigs of hard drive after the upper the os is that's on
0: there. yeah and that's uh, what i will say as well they have said that um the like game save data and stuff like that is all stored on the cartridge yeah so then there's no install as soon as you put in breath of the wild you can play breath of the wild and what they seem to infer was that even updates for the game will be saved on the cartridge side
1: that's that's Pretty mental, but very
0: cool. That's that's the implication. I don't know if it's been outright gone, yes, for sure. But that seems to be the implication that if you buy a physical copy, there is not necessarily any space taken up on the actual Switch. So it's for people who want to do digital purchasing, which I will at some point. Uh, but at least they haven't done the, the the typical thing that Sony did with the Vita and make you only able to buy proprietary SD cards that are ridiculously expensive. Yeah. F- so that's the one. It's a, it's a bit stupid that we have to, after buying a full console, if you want to do lots of digital purchases, that you have to get an SD card. But at least you don't have to get it from Nintendo. And SD cards are becoming very, very cheap.
1: This is true. But still, altogether, you're looking at about 350 quid. Mm -hmm. uh for like a kind of complete package to get you going yeah which is uh that is still quite a bit you know Yeah, like i'm
0: it's about about how much the standard wii u not the premium wii u was at launch
1: so i mean for me i know i'm definitely not getting one at launch i know that i'm going to wait at least three months to see if splatoon well, no, no, not in terms of games, but just to see the end, if they make any kind of announcements. Uh, if if anyone goes crazy, any of the retailers say "fuck it," we're going to knock fifty quid off whatever. Um, but it, from what I'm seeing from most of the uh, reviews out there, it's we are cautiously optimistic that this will come good.
0: This is a this is a substantially better piece of kit than the Wii U, is what most people which are saying, which
1: is not that surprising.
0: Yeah um so all it needs now is the games and another early impressions thing is that two of the launch games the two i'm getting one to switch isn't it isn't a gaming classic it isn't wii sports but it is not nearly the car crash everyone thought it was going to be so that's that's cool and that uh, a lot of people are saying that breath of the wild is is, one of the greatest
1: games of all time yes someone has
0: legitimately (laughs) said is not only the best in the series but one of the greatest games of all time and it was somebody whose opinion i actually genuinely usually listen to yeah so, there you go. Yeah,
1: I think from what I'm seeing, and I, I'm going to have to try and how have- it.
0: <laughs> Dan Reichert said something like, he needs to go and talk to a wall in a yeah. quiet room until the embargo lifts.
1: I, I need to know how the fuck I'm going to avoid this game for the next however long. But what I'm seeing is, it's basically, they've taken the original Legend of Zelda mm-hmm. and gone, right, that, but, yeah. in 2017. Yeah. um, Which is, yeah, yeah. Well, by me.
0: next week's podcast, I will have my hands on it. So, <laughs> be so uh, I'll sad get to give for some such early impressions. Um, yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is the cartridges, because I think we talked about it on the show last week, but I definitely referred to it on the Tweet Machine. They taste very bad, uh, apparently. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> um, we made a joke because uh, Jeff Garson of Giant Bomb uh, tweeted out something that I hadn't seen their video where they were just having a look at the hardware of the Switch saying something to the effect of, yeah, those cartridges taste awful. And like, How does it... What sort of... And then I saw a gif of him just looking at the cartridge and then going... Putting it in his mouth <laughs> and then getting this repulsed face and spinning it out. Um,
1: Journalism, my friend.
0: Yeah, and then I, I saw a load of tweets this morning, again. About everyone going, yeah, the cartridges taste horrible. Because obviously this must have ta- gotten some traction within the gaming media. And I was like, what the fuck? So I read this evening why that is. Did someone... Li- there's, there's a, have, have we never licked a SNES cartridge which no. actually tastes no. like candy Nintendo blush. did something really fucking clever. Those cartridges are very small. Yeah. What does that mean? Think about the audience of Nintendo consoles. Ah. Uh... Children. What do really small children <laughs> like to do with things that are about the size of a human mouth? They like to eat them. Nintendo have deliberately made the cartridges taste horrible. Have they laced them with poison? I don't know. I don't know what it is. They have deliberately made the cartridges taste horrible so that it would not be a choking hazard. In some ways... Which that... is, like, the most incredible piece of foresight I have ever heard. In
1: some ways, that feels like an inherent, like, an answer to a problem that shouldn't exist, but at yeah. the same time, I can't help but be... It makes me want to go up and lick my Vita just to think, maybe Sony (laughs)
0: thought of this years ago and no one noticed except Nintendo. Well, I've
1: got a copy of Persona 4 Golden, so I'll give that a lick afterwards. Give it a good lick. (laughs) yeah. Um, This
0: is the kind of dedication to professionalism you get from Link to the Cast. On
1: top of this, we have a list of a whole bunch
0: Of. of... the Boy, Shall I go through this one here? I, I'm going to go through. this. Okay, I this, this, this one. is from MCV UK. This this Mark uh, excitedly started texting me about this. I was not paying attention to when this happened. I
1: was at work and they were doing this stream basically. Yeah. Um, so a whole bunch of games that are going to be coming out for basically this is the Vita 2.0 now. I think we can confirm this. But uh, Stardew Valley with multiplayer.
0: I'm probably going to rebuy Stardew uh-huh. Valley because I can play this on my TV and bring it yeah. with me now.
1: Yep. Ukulele, uh, Overcooked Special Edition, Thumper which takes uh, use of the HD Rumble features mm. um, Binding of Isaac, Afterbirth Shovel Knight, Spectre of Torment and Shovel Knight, Treasure Trove The is 2, Steamworld Dig 2 Rogue Trooper Redux, NBA Playgrounds, Tumble Seed, Mr. Shifty Shakedown Hawaii, Perception Gunner, Kingdom Two Crowns and a whole bunch of stuff there, oh and Wargroove Wargroove is the key one because that basically looks like Advanced Wars. It,
0: and it's... Celeste as well people like
1: oh, Celeste, yeah uh, and what's not on that list there, but also is confirmed, is Towerful, which is really no. cool.
0: I um, also love my favorite name in this list, by the way. Graceful Explosion Machine. Yep,
1: yep. Um, yeah, so Wargroove is, uh, it, it essentially is Advanced Wars, with a slightly different skin.
0: Um, it is to Advanced Wars, but Fast, Fast Racing, Racing Neo, Neo is, is to, to F-Zero. F-Zero, which is also coming to Wii U at yep. launch. Yeah. Not Wii U. Switch. It's I've done switch. it again.
1: You've done it again. Um, so this is really cool. Like, I mean... First of all, uh,
0: rip Vita. Um, yeah, leave the that's memories the alone. Vita, the Vita has that goose has been cooked a long time,
1: but now it is cooked and stuffed, and yeah. we've already had dinner. It's a really good looking lineup there. Like for everyone that's got the concerns about the the lineup at launch, which is fair enough. It's it's an issue that can't not be addressed. Um, you can't say there's no games coming for this thing because there's a lot of things games mm-hmm. come for this. And I think as well that. I still imagine there are people out there that still can't wrap their head around what this actual console is. Is it a handheld? Is it an actual at-home console? And it's like, it is it is a blend of both, yeah.
0: you know? There are going to be games that work on both. We are going to get, uh, we know now at least there's one game, I can't remember the name of it, that is just going to be mobile. It won't work on the TV mode.
1: Yep, there's. Uh, they've announced that that's the thing, which is, I'm fine with that. That's grand, yeah. that's cool.
0: And I'm also fine with the occasional, but not, again... Too many games that just work on TV mode. Sure, yeah, that's fine with all that. Yeah. Um. Also, again, the one of the things that just keeps me that gives me such enormous joy at the potential of this machine is that you know, eventually, might be a couple of years from now, there's a Pokemon game coming for the Switch because there's no <laughs> DS left.
1: Yeah. I guess it's gonna happen at some point.
0: Yeah. Mm. Right, moving. I think we'll we'll leave the switch business at that for a week. We'll have a a pretty much a full review of the switch up next week, uh, because we'll have been we'll have had it for a couple of days here in the link to the cast offices. I guess we so yeah sure. Phil Spencer, the man who turned Xbox (laughs) babyface, has laid down another backhander to Sony this week. I'll tell you what, I am really enjoying Microsoft or the Xbox division of Microsoft when they're backed into a corner because boy howdy do they come out fighting so the backwards compatibility thing was the first nail in the coffin of PlayStation Now for those of you who don't know PlayStation Now is a service that came at enormous expense to Sony they bought this company called Gaikai who were all about uh, this kind of pioneering technology being able to play games that the data for which was all stored on the cloud not locally Um. Using this technology, they developed a service called PlayStation Now, which for $30 a month, isn't it? It was around that. Yeah, so for around price. the $30 mark a month, you get an you get access to not a complete, but a, a robust library of PlayStation 3 games, the likes of Last of Us and, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, Infamous. Um, and uh, I don't know... I know a lot of people with PlayStation 4s, Mark, and I don't know a single human soul who has ha- who has gotten PlayStation Now or has given it a glowing review.
1: Nope, I don't know anyone.
0: Um, I, like I said last week on the show, I would give a, a considerable amount of money to find out how many people play that thing. Hmm. Because it seems to me an enormous expense for a service as well, because one of the things people would really like to play from the last generation are all the Twitch shooters they really enjoyed and even a minute amount of lag playing that over the cloud is going to absolutely fuck that up completely.
1: Yep. Why, and it's a conversation that can be had for another day, but why they didn't consolidate that into the PS Plus price package and just yep. raise that slightly. Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess it. whatever expense they felt was worth being 30 quid a month.
0: Yeah, I said to you, if they've, the PlayStation Plus subscription mm-hmm. price went up $20 a year and had... PS Now in it, I would consider that. Like, if they had yep. tiered packages, they had tiered I would package. consider that good value.
1: Yeah. Uh, but they've absolutely fucked it.
0: Yeah. So now they're kind of in a position where, it's an unenviable position where they've spent so much money, they're kind of stuck doing that. And it has left Xbox in a position to, by doing the very basic things, look so much better than Sony it's, doing the same we,
1: thing. We've come full circle where Sony have yep. been learning things from the Botch job that this was is the, the... only
0: th- the only glaring thing they have completely botched yeah, this generation. yeah yeah
1: like where where sony have learned from microsoft from the introduction of this generation of consoles microsoft are learning from some of the botch jobs that sony are doing through this uh, yes yeah. it's cycle incredible how, how it
0: works so the first thing like i said the first nail in the coffin was the backwards compatibility where um xbox 360 games were going to be given a nice little polish and uh ma- may play it on xbox one you could do that one of two ways if you still had your game disc for any of the games that are on the backwards compatibility list you can put in the disc get a free download because you don't need it's not playing off the disc you get a a a kind of nicely prettied up version downloaded onto your xbox one but you need the disc just to prove you owned it Um, or you can go and buy it new through the store and it will download to your xbox one i've done both methods before and both of them work really well and really quickly um and then on top of that they add if you're a games with gold subscriber they add two xbox 360 games a month to games with gold that then also always become backwards compatible as well so good times Mm -hmm. that's what i'm saying here now (laughs) they have gone and they have upped the ante one further uh this comes from mcv uk Uh, xbox game pass offers an instant console subscription library The term Netflix for games is bounded about all too frequently but a new service from Microsoft might just be that for Xbox owners. Xbox Game Pass will cost $7.99. Now that's pounds so that's about Mm -hmm. $9.99 and offer members a chance to access a constantly shifting library of titles. It's very much along the lines of EA Access but with titles from a range of publishers and spanning both Xbox One and backwards compatible Xbox 360 titles. So it's starting off with games like Halo 5, Payday 2, NBA 2K16, Soul Calibur 2. Uh, partner publishers include, but are not necessarily limited to, uh, Warner Brothers, Bandai Namco, Capcom, Sega, Codemasters, 2K, 505 Games, SNK, THQ Nordic, De- Deep Silver, and Focus. So, a, a nice array of uh, publishers there. Um, It's a competitive price. The main thing... Oh, sorry. Furthermore, actually no, I will yeah never mind. One of the main problems with PlayStation Now, apart from the, the prohibitive cost of it, is like I said, that you have to play it on the cloud. Yeah. With Xbox One Game Pass, you can download that game to your console and be able to play it locally. So there'll be no issues with lag. You can play it offline for up to a month uh, without having to reconnect because it needs to because it's rolled into your yep, Xbox yep, Gold. Yep. Um. So this is good, and on top of that, uh, furthermore, it says should gamers want to buy the game they've played once they leave Xbox Game Pass, so the games won't always be in there. It'll be a refreshing library like Netflix. If a game leaves and they have and it's on their system that they have played it, they can buy that game at a twenty percent exclusive discount for Game Pass subscribers. It's a really good deal. That's, a, that's <laughs> about as good as you could do something like that and make it work economically and not do it at a loss. Yeah.
1: Now, this doesn't...
0: Well, not to say they're not doing it at a loss, but it's well, the, the, <laughs> the best way to try and avoid that.
1: It doesn't address the overglaring issue that Microsoft have that they have no fucking games for the Xbox One on the horizon. Okay. But if you're going to have... That Xbox
0: 360 had a lot of games, though. <laughs> they,
1: exactly. If you're going to have a backup plan, this is about as good as a backup plan you, as you can have. Yeah. Um so yeah, like it's it's a fantastic uh, deal, and Sony really needs to have a look. At, at a they, certain point, you gotta think doing.
0: caving that in the PlayStation now, just calling it a loss, yeah, and rolling it into PS Plus is probably the way to go. Yep. um, and also trying to figure out if there is a way for them to be able to locally download that shit. That's up to them to sort out. Because sure. even people who work at playstation have said they're not even sure how the psn works (laughs) um peter moore imagine that as a statement by uh, the way peter moore the head honcho over at ea uh is leaving ea and he's leaving the games industry in general and is uh, set to become the ceo of liverpool football club yeah Uh, an interesting
1: move i saw some incredible tweets uh from people saying oh the worst fucking time because this came the morning after liverpool lost to leicester yeah. and everyone was saying well this is this is garbage like just liverpool the the they're, they're going down this is awful this right. is terrible need to buy some players. Yeah.
0: he's not the fucking manager uh, yeah, yeah yeah he's not going to be picking the team this is the guy who's basically installed to make sure the money keeps flowing in yeah And that you can buy expensive players, or you can pay Jurgen Klopp's salary to manage you into mediocrity at the moment. look,
1: your average football fan... Through no
0: fault of his own.
1: Your your average football fan, let's be fair, like your average video game player, is an irrational,
0: (laughs) emotional human being. (laughs) Man-child. Yeah, there's a cool move for Peter Moore. It's an interesting new challenge for him. It's a real weird shift, you know? But this is the the culture of... um, because it's Fenway Sports Group, an American group that own Liverpool. Mm. But this is the culture of American business is that there are, if you're a CEO of one industry, there are any number of skills that can parlay yep. across no matter oh, what course. the product is. Oh, of once course. you can sell the product yep. and once you can be an efficient administrator of the business. And um, um, that's to be fair, you know, EA? I was going to say EA successful. is a juggernaut. Like it's right up there with Activision in terms of the the just ungodly control it has over... So many big games every year. Um, so fair play to him. He was always a guy. Uh, i remember him as being one of the least sociopathic seeming people at EA <laughs> press conferences at E3. <laughs> Some of them seem like robots or fascists from movies I've yeah. seen.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, he like because he remember joined...
0: that guy who was almost certainly a cyborg last year.
1: Yeah. Well, his thing like because he joined Xbox back in two thousand seven. So he's been. In the, the the kind of gaming industry now for 10 years like if you haven't either at least kind of clocked into that environment that scene even yeah. if you're a CEO who's coming from the outside um, you know you pick up a few things along the way he, he
0: very much reminds me of like an EA version of uh, Sony's Sean Layden. sure a guy who is nicely able to tread the line uh, between businessman guy who is completely aware and familiar with his product and also then a little bit to the side of dad
1: yeah who's the is it ubisoft or ea have one guy he's an australian who i'm pretty sure is a cyborg
0: that's 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 ea that's the cyborg guy i was talking okay, about okay yeah yeah, yeah. It was another, yeah he uh, is just fucking yeah and he popped up do you remember there was a guy that looked exactly like him in the mirror's edge trailer <laughs> 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 yes, it's like yes. he's presenting a game he's in <laughs> um yeah so uh, best to look peter more yeah,
1: yeah. play, see how that goes
0: yeah um here's one i have been looking forward to being able to say
1: i've watched this th- three times
0: the jim sterling lawsuit with digital homicide is finally over it's been dismissed with prejudice um jim sterling uh james stanton as he's referred to in the the, the case of uh, Ramin versus stanton um has been able to walk away from this uh the the troubling thing this had just um this had just broken when we did the podcast last week because Ye- I remember, yeah, I remember, remember saying that this one. so I don't yeah. need to get into the, the legal jargon <laughs> of it all and um, that it was dismissed with prejudice basically meaning that um, Jim Sterling's lawyer got to convince Digital Homicide they were being silly buggers uh, dropped the lawsuit. Everyone paid for their own individual costs. Uh, what we are putting this back on the agenda for is we urge you all to go to Jimquisition.com or to Jim Sterling on YouTube and look up. He has done a fascinating video. 40-minute
1: uh, yeah, video. I
0: knew this was going to be a hell of a Jimquisition when I saw it was 38 minutes long. <laughs> um, and he basically goes into no small amount of detail about every phase of the legal proceedings Um. And the one thing which he constantly harps on, much to his own delight, is that not only did Digital Homicide continue to sink without him, therefore proving that it wasn't his fault that their business was crap, mm-hmm. um, but uh, he is now able to talk about them again. And one of the stipulations of the lawsuit being thrown out is that they're not allowed to sue him again for it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a 38 minute. It not It's not a rant. People might think it's a rant, no. or people might think it's a victory lap. Mm. Um, I, at certain points, it's a victory lap for a couple of seconds, and Jim Sterling goes, "Well, if you were, if you even knew a fraction of what this has cost me financially or in terms of stress, um, he's earned it." And yeah, that, that I would very much agree. Like with that.
1: straight away, the the one thing that I keep remembering is. Uh, the bit where the Remain Brothers say, look, we want you to take down everything about us and anything that you did have that was on us, we want it to be replaced with an apology to us for a a period of at least five years. Yeah. Incredible.
0: Amazing. It's actually, I would genuinely, even if you're not generally a fan of Jim Sterling, it is a fascinating video Uh to watch. Uh, Fair play to him. I'm I'm very, very happy he's got past this now. Yeah,
1: it's just, um, like, because it... it's not only a victory for him, but...
0: It's a victory for the, his kind of media. The extension media.
1: of being able to critique um, developers as fair game, this, this basically. This could have been a
0: really bad watershed moment for independent games journalism. Yeah. Because, you know, they don't have a big corporation like um, CBS or Ziff Davis or something behind them to fund lawsuits.
1: Yeah. Because like, this could have given uh, fair game to developers to go out and just sue anyone that they thought that they could take down Um, and as we kind of said last week you know, the Remain Brothers with their lawsuit on like a hundred different fucking uh, Steam reviews, which just got thrown out and uh, hopefully that this is a precedent now that other developers who have poor business models and poor uh, community management uh, abilities will kind of take and and think long and hard about before they throw their prams, uh, throw their toys out the pram.
0: Mark, I have a happy story next. Yeah. So you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about on the show how a guy who was trying to accrue the entire SNES library to uh, digitally archive them to make sure they're preserved for eternity. I do remember, indeed. He, he lost a package in the post, or two packages containing a grand total of uh, roughly ten thousand dollars worth of games. Yep. Well, I'm pleased to report to you, dear listeners, that the packages have been found. Um, this is from Eurogamer. The recently missing shipment of SNES games valued at $10,000, which was declared lost in the US postal system, has miraculously been found. SNES game archiver and emulator maker BU had given up hope over, uh, over ever recovering the package sent to him by another collector after the US Postal Service, or USPS, lost it, uh, reported it lost. The package was part of an ongoing project to scan and archive every SNES game. With it lost, BU had regretfully declared the project dead. Thankfully, the continued media attention given to the case caught the eye of a USPS worker who wanted to lend a hand. Here's what happened next in BU's own words, so I'll fly through this here but before and after february 14th news sites had started to pick up on this story for which i am extremely grateful it wasn't until the story really started to take off on february 16th that finally a manager at usps customer affairs uh, consumer affairs department took note of the case and i mean that literally he told me straight up the reason he was contacting me was because of the news articles he had encountered <laughs> on this case so thanks to the coverage i finally had strong contact within the usps who passed me to his employee who then proceeded ...to open an investigation and help me search for the package. On February 21st, I received an email on the missing mail search I had submitted on January 30th... ...informing that my package had been located. Excited, I contacted my California rep, who then proceeded to tell me that uh, the search had failed... ...and that the email notification was errant. However, she promised uh, to request all possible locations that the package could have ended up at to do one last search... The CA rep called me late in the day advising that someone at the Atlanta, Georgia Mail Recovery Centre had just now located my package. Thankfully, the photographs I took of the packages before sending back the first batch of 100 games proved useful, with the exact appearance, dimensions, weight, etc. being available for the search team. Still, given all the constant ups and downs, I wanted to wait until the package was in hand before giving anyone any false hope. Finally today, February 23rd, the ordeal is finally over, the package arrived safely with all the games intact. So that is uh, a nice thing. He had also opened up a PayPal uh, for donations to uh, hopefully come up to the value so that he could replace the games of that collector that had been lost. And since the package has been found, he's actually refunded everybody their donations from PayPal and not kept
1: them. Honestly, I wouldn't have been surprised if that story ended with him uh, acquiring a package that had 100 Jaguar Jaguar games in it. Um <laughs> so absolute it's, scenes it's, it's good to see that that's uh, talking uh, full circle
0: two small stories just to finish off the week uh, in news uh, two things that you guys check out we give homework on this podcast um, the first sign, one kiddies. is uh, the latest installment in the excellent no clip series from Daniel Dwyer formerly of GameSpot an Irishman much like myself uh, Waterford Zone, Danny O'Dwyer um, he is doing if you're not aware of Noclip their crowdfunded video game documentary series uh, you can support him over on Patreon uh, and he's done uh, a couple of really really good documentaries so far um, what have we got we got Doom Rocket League and Rocket Doom
1: League. and John Romero
0: and John Romero yeah the, the John Romero was kind of like a site kind of like almost like a coda to the the doom stuff because it came out a couple of weeks i'd say yeah.
1: it's more like um
0: it's still you could probably it's under the doom umbrella there was i don't know i
1: because th- i feel like he's going to be doing these with um like individual developers as like mm. a kind of biographical yeah place. yeah
0: it's like a site he doesn't he doesn't refer to them as his main documentary series they're like a no clip i can't remember there's actually a little title for them remember yeah. what it is still very good it's a very good interview um and i'm going to be wandering around galway to find the man himself someday
1: yeah um, yeah
0: anyway Uh, He has got uh, a new series all through March. We are going to be getting a lot of Noclip, which I am very happy about. Uh, And the theme of this month on Noclip is mysteries in video games. Um, What's your favourite kind of urban legend you've heard of in a video game?
1: Oh, blimey.
0: Whether legitimate or real. Or Um, or not real. The
1: one off the top of my head that I remember was always the one about uh, the original Tomb Raider. And being able to play Lara Croft naked, which uh, you know, whatever. Tells
0: you all you need to know about Mark Robinson, that's the one that
1: he remembers. No, it's it's a very famous one. Um
0: <laughs> Um I give you my two if you want. Yeah you sure. So um my first one is Ermac Mortal Kombat.
1: Yeah, of course, yeah sure. Good
0: times. Is it Error Ma- Macro? Is it an actual guy <laughs> called Ermac? <laughs> The lines have blurred in subsequent years. Uh, And then my other one was the the rumor that went around every school uh, when I was growing up, which was that if you somehow found the keys to the truck near the SSN, you could reverse the truck and Mew would be underneath it. Um, Those are my two favorite ones. But uh, this is what the documentary is about. And a couple of those urban legends we talked about are mentioned in them. Um, He's starting off with a very generalized documentary about the concept and the fun behind mysteries in video games and how it's becoming harder and harder in the era of the internet to surprise people with uh, secrets and mysteries and Easter eggs inside in a game and is that taking a little bit of fun out of the concept of gaming. Um, interviewing some uh, experts in the field of confounding expectations who are also themselves going to be featuring in individual documentaries about their games. So this month we are going to have a documentary on The Witness with Jonathan Blow. Mm -hmm. We're going to have one on... Spelunky. Spelunky with, I can't remember that man's name. Uh, Derek Yu. Derek Yu. Yeah,
1: that that one in particular I'm really looking forward to.
0: And then we are going to, uh, the one I'm really looking forward to is talk- sitting down with Big Jim Crawford talking <laughs> Frog Fractions, which is a game, I, I or now a, a series of games, that I feel like even though I've read and watched a lot of talk about Frog Fractions, I still only barely know what it is. That's how off the wall the thing i love
1: about it is like when he introduces himself as well he's like i'm the man that made frog fractions and i may or may not have released frog fractions too
0: (laughs) i may or may not have shipped frog fractions too already yeah that that tells you everything you need to know about (laughs) frog fractions but i'm looking forward to that uh subscribe to danny on uh on YouTube, just search for NoClip, all one word, and uh, go support him on Patreon if you have a few shekels. He uh, officially last month, uh, although I uh, fecked up and accidentally cancelled it, he became the first person I ever backed on Patreon. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so I, I need to go and set that back up again. <laughs> um, the final thing for the final bit of homework for everyone to do is that by the time this podcast airs next week, the March lineup for uh. PS Plus will have been released for your downloading. I'll tell, you tell
1: you what, February flew by.
0: It really did. Obviously, it's
1: only 28 days, yeah. but it, it fucking flew it really by this rocketed month. by. Yeah.
0: Um, so, for March, we're getting actually, and much as we pillory PS Plus uh, and their lineups of late on this program, uh, it's a pretty good one this month. Uh, we're getting Tearaway Unfolded, which is the PS4 port of uh, a really overlooked Vita game classic really a
1: game on the vita that was overlooked yeah think about i know ones. yeah yeah
0: um and the full version of disc jam yeah. which i had no idea was ready on I, yeah time. I. I, I mean, it's obviously only when the leaflets leaked for what it was going to be this month that we knew
1: yeah obviously we've been playing the, the beta but i didn't realize um i didn't realize the full version was on the way so yeah good times
0: yeah um, officially confirmed by Sony today, I believe that that is the lineup. Yeah. So, good times.
1: And uh, there's also uh, Severed is going to be on the Vita, which hey. is. Uh, I like it. Which is Drinkbox. They yeah. made guacamole. I didn't enjoy the brief time I spent with it, but I will go back to it and and see if my feelings have changed since then it style It does have style but I didn't like the gameplay
0: uh, It's time to move into our uh, our big feature of every podcast which is a link to the Cast Book Club where we talk about an important game from the history of gaming that we think you should all either look at for the first time or just maybe revisit if you already love it This week is going to be uh, the, the phrase paradigm shifting is going to be used quite a bit here I imagine uh, we're going to talk about the the game that started off what you might argue is the second age of the shooter, and that is Half-Life. <laughs> science fiction first person shooter video game developed by Valve released in 1998 by Sierra Studios for Microsoft Windows it was Valve's debut product and the first in the Half-Life series which is mind boggling when you think about it players assume the role of Dr. Gordon Freeman who must fight his way out of a research facility after a teleportation experiment goes disastrously wrong fighting enemies and solving puzzles uh, most of the game is set in a remote desert area of New Mexico in the Black Mesa Research Facility, a fictional complex that bears many similarities to both the Los Alamos National Laboratory and Area 51 at some point during the 2000s. The game's protagonist is the theoretical physicist Gordon Freeman, who holds a PhD from MIT. Freeman becomes one of the survivors of an experiment at Black Mesa that goes horribly wrong when an unexpected resonance cascade, a fictitious phenomenon, rips dimensional seams, devastating the facilities. Uh, aliens from another dimension known as Xen uh, subsequently enter the facility through these dimensional seams in an event known as the Black Mesa Incident. On this show before Mark Robinson, we have talked about Doom um, and kind of the, 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 uh, the, the hat trick of Wolfenstein 3D, Doom and Quake were the games that marked the first age of the shooter. Um, and set the bar for what shooters could be in that day and age. They were fast, they were frantic, they were colorful. um story not so much a concern, even though you, uh, could, you could yeah minimal concern. there was some weird fucked up readmes attached to some of those games yep. that you could get into the lore if you wanted, but for a good proportion of people, it was more about. The gameplay story wasn't the the primary concern, you could say. It was games. it was good level design and good gameplay.
1: Yeah, it was mainly there are some demons. This is yeah. Doom Guy. Doom Guy does not like demons. He is
0: mad about the demons. Yeah. Um. So 1998 comes along where we're heading towards the millennium, and uh, out of seemingly nowhere come this company called Valve. Who, uh, considering looking back now, nineteen years after this game came out. Fucking incredible! Just saying that out loud. Yeah. Uh, to think that Valve would be a new boy on the block with the the prevalence of most people now would know Valve as the company that runs Steam, the the platform for buying PC games. Um, to and to think that they would come out with with something this strong, that very much reinvents the wheel as far as shooters are concerned, and would uh, shape the course of the way first person shooters were designed for years to come after this um is incredible uh, an, an age of shooters that actually started to pay attention to story uh, an age of shooters that um started to get less colorful and less ultra violent and more focused on story and nuance though there is still the the, the ultra violence at mm-hmm, times mm-hmm. In, in some of these games um, and uh, also, maybe one of the last great franchises to have a memorable mute protagonist yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in Gordon Freeman. Um, talk to me a little about about Half Life and your your kind of your experiences brushes with Half Life. The thing with
1: Half Life now, reading the the settings for this game aloud, like you realize as a story, it is it's it's tier subpar like science fiction Mm. but for video games you know this is uh this is almost like oscar worthy kind of stuff this is um
0: this is like it's like a fan for if this was on tv at the time it would be like a fanfic version of the x-files yeah yeah but when you consider where video games are at in 1998 this is like i said paradigm shifting
1: yeah and the thing is with the original Half-Life and certainly with Half-Life 2 and I want to try and make sure that I don't get too carried away with talking about Half-Life 2 but
0: episode 2 oh, well, well. yeah um, the
1: the world building you know the world that is created that Valve create here in the, in Black Mesa and the way that they do that through uh, not so much the story itself but how they tell the story and how they have no cutscenes, all of mm-hmm. the, the, the interaction between Gordon Freeman and the characters around Black Mesa. You know, you live that story yeah. through Gordon Freeman. Uh,
0: one of the, the things that we take for granted in games now uh, is something that was a pioneering feature of Half Life, and that was the idea that things that happen in gameplay, things that happen outside of a cutscene, lead into big set-piece de facto cutscenes that are an important part of the story. Generally, when story is happening in video games to this point, it's action, 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 let's pause, watch a few screens of story, action, 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 let's pause and watch a few screens of story. This was seamless, bleeding in and out of action and storyline in one go. Um, which we, like I said, we take for granted now in an age where not only have we had the Half-Life games, but we've had BioShock and we've had countless other uh, games in the genre yeah, and, and many others. I think
1: one of the key things you mentioned there is the the seamlessness uh, between what is like an in-game cutscene, but doesn't feel like a cutscene, where you kind of walk around the corridor mm-hmm. and you see um, a headcrab jump onto uh, onto a scientist. You know, yeah and
0: like very evocative of alien
1: yeah, yeah yeah but like you walking around the corner and seeing that you know there's no cutaway there's no kind of black bars to signify okay this is a cutscene you can put the controller down for a second it's like no you are in this world and that headcrab is going to jump onto that scientist but then you're going to have to deal with that you know all mm. within the span of like five, ten seconds yeah on top of whatever else is going on around the world mm-hmm and and there were games that were doing this at the time in terms of how they used AI, but where um, Doom and Quake and whatever else, it was just like things were charging towards you and trying to shoot you. Like now, it really feels like the the AI had, had kind of advanced a little bit. Yeah. Um, certainly when um, the uh, the SWAT team, whatever you want to call it, kind of comes in later on in, in the game and the way that they will not just kind of charge at you, you know? They Mm -hmm. will hide. They will kind of take their chances. And the way that they interact with uh, the the aliens as well. It's, uh, It's just this living, breathing world that is created... And that Valve would continue to create yeah. through
0: the years. And it's got to be said as well. We we talk a lot about how it's it's the start of an era where uh, shooters actually start to value story. That's not to say the gameplay is any slouch oh, at all. God, the no. gameplay is great, yeah. and it, it is quick, and it is. Uh, I would hasten to say fun because it's tense. Mm. Um, but it is. It it's it's snappy. It's. Uh, the, the perfect way to sum it up is the way that, as it says in its own Wikipedia article, the things it was influenced by, and you can see the gameplay is influenced by Doom and Quake, um, but in, in fairness, it is hard to be a shooter of any description and not be, at least on some level, influenced by Doom and Quake, uh, even if you don't know it. Uh, but the things then that influenced the story side of things were specifically referenced here as Stephen King's short story novella The Mist, and an episode of a sci-fi show, The Outer Limits, entitled The Borderland. So you're seeing, rather than trying to iterate on games, they know that gameplay, you know, people say gameplay is king, and gameplay is always very, very important. But looking outside to try and uh, expand on the idea that maybe shooters don't need to be simply shooters, that not all that needs to go on. And one of the things that really... Um, kind of is emblematic of how much of a quantum leap this was in terms of nuance and subtlety was the the character uh, referred to commonly as the g-man
1: ah the g-man
0: this mysterious guy who again this is so x-files this is so cigarette smoking man uh this mysterious figure who seems to be uh not quite stalking you, but keeping an eye on you, uh, Gordon Freeman, as you are proceeding through this crazy, crazy, and new even world. now,
1: like 19 years later, no one really knows exactly what no. what the purpose of the G-Man is. Yeah,
0: and it's part it's, it's part of it's not the entirety of why, but it, it's part of why people still to this day are chomping at the bit for Half Life Three. Yeah, it, it, is that, and we will probably get to Half Life Two at some point <laughs> in the <book laughs> would imagine. So I, yeah. Um, but there, there's so much mystery to the to the, the the things like the G-Man in the game that we still want answers, and not in a way that like oh, it was totally unsatisfying what had happened so far, but just it's so moorish what's going on. Yeah, and again,
1: like that's the 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 story itself. Um, is not elevated uh, to kind of like classic science works fiction by any means, mm. but through the pacing and the way that they use these characters like and I think this is one of these things that only games can do. Yeah. But the way that you know you see through the eyes and you see the G-man at certain points and he appears like an easter egg in certain places, mm-hmm. you know. Uh you see kind of glances of him. Um there's again that real kind of immersiveness that you can only get through playing a game and the older I get and the more I kind of think about how games are such a or playing video games is such a unique medium to themselves you know yeah. compared to music films or whatever uh, and I do think that Half-Life is one of those kind of shining examples of how you get something out of that and but certainly with like uh, horror as a genre how video games can use horror mm-hmm. to add an extra kind of level of tension and yeah. fear and um, because you know you can't really take your eyes off the screen you know if you take your eyes off the screen you're gonna die you know if you take your eyes off the screen you're on a horror film whatever mm. you have to go through with whatever your deal is mm. that is put in front of you mm. um and i think one of the key things as well about half-life that um i almost kind of forgot to to bring up is uh it's responsible for counter-strike yep you know um, that in itself is absolutely massive. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that we'd get the Orange Box all those years later
0: with... Team Fortress. ...and
1: Portal. Yeah. Um, you know, Counter-Strike, which is still being played today. Yeah. Which Team is... Fortress
0: too as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not the ubiquitous monster it once was. No. Um, but I, I'll put it this way. It's taken this long. It took till 2016 for a game to come out to have a similar effect on the multiplayer uh, universe. As Team Fortress 2 and it's Overwatch. Overwatch has very much fit into that place for console players who miss Team Fortress 2. Sure. But um, uh
1: but yeah, but like they're responsible for Count Counter Strike and now we're having to deal with the bullshit that comes with yeah. Counter Strike Garden
0: Portal as well. Came from this universe. Yeah, yeah. Um came as just a little we talked about it. Uh,
1: well, I mean just in terms of like this kind of actual game and the uh, mods that came along with it. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, the expansions, if you will.
0: Um, the the other thing that's worth saying as well you want to talk about iteration and I talked about how it won't feel all that dissimilar if you're a person who loved Quake and Doom Um, the one thing that I would be remiss if I didn't mention is that one of the reasons for that is that the the engine that's used to to build this game the gold source engine is in fact a, a heavily modded version of the Quake engine sure. uh, that yeah. they had licensed from id Software for this. So you can see you're going to the Mac Daddies of the shooter franchise. It, it, it shows you here Valve's intent to make sure it's a very authentic shooter experience while trying to be that bit deeper.
1: Yeah. Um, have you seen any of the uh, work that was done? The the Black Mesa uh, remake. Yeah. The fan-made yeah. Uh, Black Mesa remake. Now we have spoken a number of times about how Nintendo have shut down these fan-made projects where Valve is very much of the kind of like, please, like, show us what you can do, you know? Um, And obviously, when we talk about Half-Life 2 and how that game was um, kind of hacked into before the release and and the story along with that, but, you know, this Black Mesa project, which has been going on for years um, to remake half-life basically in the division of what half-life 2 looks like now yeah uh that that's in itself like absolutely incredible um that's something i'd really like to see daniel do look at actually um, yeah i reckon there's well a, he
0: will likely get around probably to get round to at like some that, yeah. point yeah
1: um yeah if like th- one
0: of the things you know I, I talk occasionally about things i would pay money to know right and one of them is what's going on at 3D Realms, one of them is what's going on with PS Now. Another is even if I have to sign an NDA that I never ha- I can never say it to anyone else, I want to see inside the what is probably massive vaults of servers at Valve that have ideas for subsequent Half-Life games, stuff that nearly made it into this game and didn't, all that kind of design docs for Half-Life. Yeah. I really want to get inside, and maybe the closest anyone will ever come is if Tanny knocks on Gabe's door and asks nicely.
1: <laughs> what a, for you like? What is your memory of playing Half Life?
0: See, I, I don't go back to nineteen ninety eight. Uh, I because I'm the same. Yeah. I came to this years and years later. Yeah. I, and, I played the and PS2 I came to version. this. I, yeah, I came to this on consoles yeah. as well. I came to this when we found a copy of it on on PlayStation for ninety nine pence. Strong. Uh, in a bin it had no manual and no box but we (laughs) knew the name half-life because we were we were we were in the know shall Mm. we say so the the name was familiar to us Uh, myself and my friend john we played through it loved it and it was the kind of thing where much as i love doom still one of my favorite franchises one of my favorite games of all time the original doom um half-life is much more Reminiscent of the kind of games I would come to jo- enjoy as I grew up um, because I, I notice in myself as I kind of become I have become an adult that I really value a good story experience as part of my game I find it much harder now if a game comes out and it is 100% focused on gameplay I can still get into it yeah you know, it's not like FIFA has a fucking cutting-edge story. I know the journey is there, but you know what I mean? And I love... Well, Shovel- that,
1: that is purely subjective. Man. I love Shovel
0: Knight on. when it came out. Yep. I played the hell out of Rocket League when it came out for a while. I'm going to play the hell out of Disc Jam. But generally speaking, I want games to have a cool story. I, I really like... That's why I like so many fucking walking simulators, because that's all story. Mm. Um, and, and that's what... I think Half-Life may have been the germ of that idea in my head, just going oh, games can tell a story as well as being something cool to shoot at for a while. Um, so that's really the, the, the lasting impact it's had for me. If I talk about the critical reception for it here at the moment, <coughs> uh, so the Metacritic score for the PC version is a staggering at 96, whereas it stands at 87% for PlayStation 2. All game gave it 5 stars. CGW gave it 5 stars. GameSpot, 9.4 out of 10. IGN, 9.5 out of 10. Its public reception was overwhelmingly positive in terms of review, acclaim, reviews, acclaim, and sales. As of November 16, 2004, 8 million copies had been sold. By 2008, 9.3 million copies had been sold at retail. The game has won over 50 Game of the Year awards. Uh, and before we kind of... Uh, we start to sum things up Uh, I think there was there's a great line here from IGN we're summing it up as part of one of their greatest games of all time list Um, and what was this they said Um, yeah won over 50 PC Game of the Year awards and is often considered one of the greatest games of all time it has influenced first person shooters for years after its lease and according to IDN the history of the genre the entire genre of shooters they say breaks down pretty cleanly into the pre-half-life and post-half-life eras Which just really tells you what a staggering uh, seed change this was for uh, the the genre. Um, And it is part of what uh, set Valve off on the path to becoming the monster that it is today. Yeah, Yeah. Truly. Um, To sum it up... um, You got an
1: elevator pitch for me?
0: Elevator pitch. If half-life 2 is not the greatest or not sorry not half-life 2 if half-life is not the greatest and most important shooter of all time it is at worst the second most important <laughs> <laughs> it is right that like the three ages of shooters are for me it goes doom half-life and then much of my chagrin the third era it starts with modern warfare i I got very bored of that third age very quickly mm-hmm. when it was just iterations on the same kind of uh, hyper-realistic military shooter kind of shit. Ride
1: right, uh, the roller coaster from cutscene cut to cutscene. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: but, yeah, it's one of the most important games ever made. Um, it has been largely responsible for creating one of the, the standard bearers for not only game distribution, but uh, also games themselves. Uh, in in Valve, and it is it has much like Doom has influenced pretty much everything that has followed it. Even if people developing shooters nowadays don't realise they've been influenced by it, so that's that. Yeah,
1: I think that that's one of the key things. Like um, you'll hear developers that are working on games that aren't even related to the genre that talk about how um, like uh, early late '80s games influenced them. Like I think a lot of people take a lot of what they do in their games from a story perspective a lot of that comes from the pacing and the nuance and the way that half-life presents its story um yeah. I, f- I think there's a lot that's been taken on from there um into all different genres and all different types of games um but yeah i think it's it's hugely influential
0: mark one last bit of business before we wrap things up here you've got to hit us with your rhythm stick tell us what the game for next week is yeah
1: be. well as um Mr. O'Dwyer is currently going to do a documentary on it, I thought it would be the perfect time to talk about Splunky Because uh, okay. I put in a considerable amount of time on the Xbox 360 version, and uh, that game came along really as uh, the roguelike was starting to really kind of kick off, and there's some really fascinating videos that look into that game, and there's an even there's a book on it which is great as well.
0: Um, <laughs> there's a great line uh, from the from the the developer in that documentary about how he wrote the book so people would stop asking him about yes. <laughs> it. It's like I don't want to say the word roguelike anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot to unravel with that. So I definitely definitely uh, next week want to talk about Spelunky.
0: Yeah. So get your uh, get your drinking game uh, in order. Anytime we say roguelike next week down a drink I'll
1: try and kind of like put it down
0: to three end fucking hospitalised that is going to do it for episode 56 of link to the cast link to the cast.eu is the website that's our our central hub of content Uh, social media is facebook.com forward slash link to the cast at link to the cast on twitter those are the best two ways to follow us uh, facebook and twitter because then you can be up to date with all the content as it is published hot off the presses Uh, youtube search for us on there link to the cast either one word or all separated depending on how you like to walk through the world um twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast is where you can watch live streams when they go live um some of them are archived on there but not for very long but uh you there will always be a tweet from at link to the cast let you know when we're about to go live with something uh mark we have a relatively regular uh schedule when it comes to uh videos that come up generally speaking monday is mark on mondays where Mark will do a stream by himself of something that he's playing at the moment. Mark, what's the latest, Mark, on Mondays? Or where are you heading next week? Whichever uh, is the
1: more interesting. I was going to say pretty next week, because I, I wrote two articles and fell asleep this week. Uh, I'm probably, I'll am probably i probably do an hour of M++. Okay. Um, I, I haven't actually streamed any of that yet. So I don't think I'll have anything purchased by then. I definitely, definitely at some point need to buy Night in the Woods. That's definitely like the next kind of big game I think I want to play. Mm so I might try and stream some of that at some point but until then, yeah, M++
0: um, Wednesday is the next big day of the week um, that is when uh, we have the series where the two of us, we sit down together and we play a game and we have been doing a new series that we call Retro Corner 64 where we are playing uh, in chronological order every game that came out in English-speaking territories for the Nintendo 64 Mark, what are we on this week?
1: Uh Mortal Kombat Trilogy
0: it is fair to say because we have been uh, pl- we have been uh, testing out to see how emulation on the N sixty four is going. That's kind of our um, the subplot for the series is trying to figure out how people are, are getting on with those uh, emulations. Uh, safe to say, Mortal Kombat Trilogy not one of the better ones we've played so far in terms of how it held up. <laughs> It's a bit of a disaster. <laughs> yeah, uh, the game itself, as we talk about in the stream, was a bit of a disaster as a stripped-down version of, uh, of it's, another I, game in the
1: series. By that point, um, for the next generation of consoles, mm. like that style of fighting game had, I I feel had outlived its welcome and its use. Um, but yeah, it was a compact. It brought the first three games together and put it into to one uh, package. So. Uh, but yeah, the, the the emulation of it is a bit of a omni-shambles. Um,
0: Thursday is the day the podcast comes out. Uh, it's the only thing that comes out that day, so you can listen to it. 90 minutes of gaming chatter for your listening pleasure. Friday, we wrap off the week with uh, Friday of Plays. That's my series where I'm streaming something by myself. Uh, this week we're continuing on with Life is Strange which is the, the big arc of uh, game I'm doing at the moment we've we've gotten headlong into episode 3 Chaos Theory um, and you can check that out this Friday over at Link Cast uh, on the YouTube channel and uh, check out all the previous games in the series and all the videos we've well over 200 videos now at this point uh, that we've put up uh, for you to check out some, uh, some great ones in there and I think at some point next week I'll probably do a quick play of Horizon but uh that's definitely not happening until I'm back, anyway. Um, that's for sure, because I am uh, jetting off in the morning. But uh, that's going to do it for Link to the Cast this week, episode 56 in the bag. Uh, I've been Dave Ryan at Dave Ryan Ivy on the Tweet Machine. The man over there reclining on the couch under a mountain of blankets is Mark Robinson at Lithium Project on the Tweet Machine. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it. We'll see you all next week.
1: Adios.